So, how did you guys like the new music? What do you think? Surprise! Yes, it's still us. So, if you clicked in and you're like, this is not Blood and Wine, what I do? It is still us. It's still us. Um, we haven't gone anywhere. No, but we decided, you know, 133 episodes in. Time for some new music. Time for some new music. So, we got this new music from Fiverr, and that's also where we got our first music. Mm -hmm. This one was specifically from this producer. He goes by Riley Orbaccio. R-I-L-E-Y-H-O-R-B-A-C-I-O. Amazing. It was awesome. Just wanted to give Riley a shout out. He was so wonderful to work with, and we are obsessed with our new music, and we hope you are too. Yes. So... I uh, hope that the beginning of this episode, the beginning of all our episodes, you twerk in the dark with us while you listen to the music. I mean, it, that's that's what you're supposed to do when you listen to podcast music, right? Yeah, it's like your 15 second twerk time. Yeah, get those glutes going. So we're really excited about today's episode. But before we get into it, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Patreon. If you haven't listened to us before then you're probably like, what is Patreon? Let me tell you. If you've listened to us before, you know exactly what Patreon is. If you haven't listened to us before and your first episode is 133, welcome. Welcome. Hello. Glad to have That's, you. You know, our episodes are ones you can jump in random. You don't have to start from the beginning. But what a strange one to pick. 133. It's the most recent. Oh, well, that too. Okay. You're, you're right. <laughs> also, the topic, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's true. I get it. So Patreon is our exclusive community of Blood and Wine family members. Those Blood and Wine family members get access to Zoom calls with us, recipes, random live viewings. We've got some murder minis that we've done. You guys, Patreon is the place to be. And one of the most exciting perks is getting to direct your own episode. And that's what today's episode is about. Bridget Harris is our director of episode 133, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you guys know, we're focusing on the mastermind behind pretty much every horror story you've ever heard, Ed Gein. Mastermind is an interesting word choice. Scary mind? Psychotic mind? Influence of them? He's an Instagram influencer. He has this like fitness blog. A fitness blog, a fashion and a furniture blog, company. and a furniture company. You just wait. He doesn't. That is not Ed Gein, by the way. But yeah, it just, it blew my mind just how many of these horror books and movies and tales and are based or influenced by him. Well, and that's the thing. And that's a part of this theme. A lot of the horror stories that we see in film and books, they're inspired by real life things. And Ed Gein happens to be that one fucked up guy that inspired this laundry list of books and movies. And calling him fucked up does not go far enough. No. In any way. That's like like doing him justice, which I shouldn't do. He is literally one of the most depraved individuals I've ever heard of. See, I don't think that there are words in the English language that go anywhere close to describing his depravity. Yeah. Bridget actually grew up in the area where Ed Gein was doing all of his crimes. And so this was something that she heard about growing up, which is beyond horrifying, by the way. Yes, absolutely. So 
Before we jump into wine, I do have an update on my case from last episode, actually, which I don't know if I've ever had an update because usually things don't happen in real time, but this did. Yeah, this one was quick. In last week's episode, I covered the case of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. And at the end of my case, I kind of went into modern day where he was hospitalized with COVID. And on November 13th, so just a few days ago, he actually died from COVID. Catherine messaged us on Instagram after listening to the episode and was like, by the way, a little update for you. So yeah, the Yorkshire Ripper died just a little over a week ago after this episode goes live. That's crazy because we never have updates like that. No, and I don't remember if you meant, you did mention it in the last episode how moving forward any cases we do that have big parts of them or happen in 2020, COVID's going to be a big part of it. And I did not expect that to be something we were already kind of having be a part of some of the case we've already done but lo and behold so thank you so so much Catherine. yeah thanks for the update COVID is one of those things that at this point we all know someone or multiple people who have had covid some of us know people who have passed from covid this is we're yeah. very much in the height of this pandemic and be careful out there you guys i know thanksgiving is this week And be safe. If you are going to see family, please be very careful. Don't go Black Friday shopping. Most places aren't doing it anyway. Shop online or go to local stores that like, maybe not this weekend though, because everyone's shopping. Like it's just, guys, just be careful. Just be careful. And also, you know, the local stores that you're driving by and you see them, ooh, that place looks cute. Call them. Order over the phone. Order over the phone. A lot of them have websites, too. Yes. Check it out. But, you know, I think a lot of times when we think, like, online shopping, we instantly kind of restrict ourselves to places like Amazon or Walmart or Target. Like, the big box stores that we know have, you know, the logistics and the huge website and all of that. But so many of these smaller businesses and, like, people-owned companies, I mean... All companies are people-owned, but y'all know what I mean. Locally owned. Yeah, they also have websites, and you can oftentimes order online and support local businesses without having to take the risk and go in person and do all of that. Which also, you guys, we have like a month before Christmas. You do not need two-day shipping. It's okay if you do standard shipping and it takes even 10 days to get to you. You have the time. So just shop local. Shop local online. Yes. All right. Tyler, it is wine time. So tell me, what wine did you pick for today's horrific episode? So I may have fucked up when I got this wine, y'all. I think you did. You told me about this earlier. Well, it might be sweet. And I didn't know that when I bought it until I did my research. Because I read the back and it sounded interesting and stuff. But I don't know. It is the Sore Benito Cecilia Baratad. From Benito, Italy. It is a red blend. It's 40% Merlot, 30% Corvina, 20% Cabernet Sauvignon, and 10% Croatina. So, Soray is rich, it's intense, it has this ripe, velvety fruit and a hint of spice in the finish. And what makes this wine kind of special is it's made in the traditional 
apacimento method of drying the grapes for a number of weeks, which concentrates the flavor before crushing. So it's what? a raisin wine. Yeah. Oh my god, it is a raisin wine. That's so weird. I didn't know that. And obviously, if it's much more concentrated like that, probably going to be a little sweeter. But again, not necessarily, because the sweetness comes from the residual sugars left behind that the yeast doesn't eat and turn into alcohol during fermentation. So, you know, not necessarily just because it's raisin wine, it's going to be sweeter. But then I read this. So this wine, it begins with a pleasant and nice aroma of sweet, ripe red fruits, a hint of raisin, and notes of vanilla, chocolate, and cinnamon. Ooh, sweet wine. And then tasting the wine, it's velvety smooth and full of candied fruit flavors. And they wrote in parentheses, think sweet tarts. Nobody wants to while they're drinking wine. Well, I'm about to. It also has a bit of spice that develops in the mid-palate. So it's a sweeter wine thanks to the dried grapes, but it also has plenty of acidity to keep things in check. And they said it's a really nice example of an apacimento wine, which are usually a lot more expensive. Oh. Yeah, this one I got at Trader Joe's for like seven bucks or something. Oh, not expensive at all. No, I bought like six bottles of wine. That were all in the like four to eight dollar price range when I went to Trader Joe's. So I'm gonna get this open and we're we are just moments away from finding out how sweet is this wine really. Sweet is one of those words that I feel like is it depends on whoever says it, like what their thoughts are and their opinions are. Sweet is very when I say sweet, a lot of people would be like, This isn't a sweet wine, but to me it is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, and I have a similar palette in that I know like a Cabernet Sauvignon, for example, is not a sweet wine and never is. But there are cabs I've had where I would describe it as sweet. That's a good description because same. So if they're calling this sweet, we will see. But I also think for me, the scariest part of it saying sweet is not just it being like, oh, it's, you know, a kind of sweet wine. It's the candy descriptions that follow. Yeah, I don't really know what to picture when you say sweet tarts. Like, I mean, I know what sweet tarts taste like, but I don't know how to translate that to wine. Listeners, do y'all know what sweet tarts are? I just really, I was like, oh, they're totally just an American thing, I think. I don't know, little pastilles. It's like sour candy. Okay. What does it smell like? Nothing, really. Also, it is 14%, which tells me that the yeast ate a lot of the sugars. Because generally, that's another way to tell how sweet a wine might be, is because it's from the residual sugars, winemakers will often artificially stop the fermentation to keep sugars in, which means there's usually less alcohol, which is why a Moscato is going to be closer to the 10% mark and be sweet. 14%, we're, we're looking good. But then again, I think I've had some port wine that's pretty sweet that's like 18 percent. so (laughs) that is actually a really good point that's so dark wow it smells sweet it smells like like raspberry jam oh my god although sometimes wines smell sweeter than they taste yeah but usually when they smell this sweet and they're described as sweet i think it's gonna be sweet but let's let it breathe and then We'll find the truth momentarily on Blood and Wine. Anyway, Brittany, what are you drinking today? I am going for a Spanish wine. 
So today, Ooh. I will be having the 2014 Puerta de Plata Reserva from Spain. And this wine is 60% Tempranillo and 40% Grenache. So I'm Ooh. all about that blend. It's also aged in French and American oak barrels for 12 months. It's a ruby red color with some garnet tones throughout. The aroma reminds you very much of ripe red fruits, cacao, and vanilla. And in the mouth, it's very full-bodied with some balance of minerals. So it seems like a very good combination of fruity, like your your intense, and I, and I guess sweet, from like vanilla and cacao. And then also, you've got those minerals thrown in there. Yeah, it's got the fruity, the baking spices, and the minerality. And it's in one of those glass bottles that's like really heavy and like very pretty. And the glass itself is very ornate. But it was only like $8 at Trader Joe's. I am so sorry, y'all that don't have a Trader Joe's. But if you are in the States, you can go to their website. And I think on the like part where it's like contact us that all websites have, I think that's where the form is where you can like request a Trader Joe's for your city or your region. And I'm just saying, if you got your entire city to do that, Trader Joe's might come. And that's totally worth it. This wine also, I did want to mention, it's the 20, it won the 22nd Berlin Wine Trophy, and it got the gold in 2018. And it is a luxury selection. So this is a fancy wine. Yeah, it sounds like it. So this is a regular cork. And this one's like really in there, but here we go. I'm not going to splash wine on myself this time. I don't think that was really no. weak. That was. We both had weak corks. I think we talked over both of our cork pops because we got so used to the corks interrupt us. I know. Oh, that's dark too. It is. It's a lot darker than I thought it would be. Yeah, because when I think Tempranillo, it's usually a lot more of a ruby color. Well, and I told you, this is a full-bodied, and it's Tempranillo and Grenache, which I generally associate as to, like, more light to medium-bodied varietals. Yeah. I smell vanilla straight out of the bottle. Oh, I forgot my aerator. That's okay, but it's so much vanilla. Vanilla and oak barrel. Hmm. Mm. Okay, I'm ready to try this wine. I am also ready. I'm ready to know. All right. Well, here's to knowing. To knowing. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. All right, Tyler, we all have to know. Is it sweet? Do you remember when we went to that one winery in here in Texas, the two of us, and we had, we did the tasting and one of their red wines was like their famous Jolly Rancher wine, or it was described as Jolly Rancher. Oh, no. Well, I just found the flavor of a raisin Jolly Rancher. So it's a grape Jolly Rancher. I mean, yes, but grape candy tastes... I have never tasted a grape that tastes anything like grape candy that's lies. Where did they get that flavor? What is that? I don't know. Did you know banana candies, the reason banana candy doesn't taste like bananas is because they're based off a banana that was like super common and popular in like the 20s or something like that, but then died out. And, like, basically went extinct, almost. Or did go extinct. We ate them all? I think, like, disease ripped through the banana farms in, like, the 60s and 70s. So now the only flavor left of that banana is banana candy. That's really weird. But, yeah, I don't think the same thing happened with grapes. I think 
I don't know, people with no tongues decided grape candy was grape flavor. Right. This, um, it's sweet in such a weird way. Because when you, it first hits your tongue, you're like, yep, that's sweet. But then like a second later, you're like, oh, okay, not necessarily. But in the second, like you swallow and air hits your tongue, it's like, "Mm -hmm, no, you just ate a piece of candy. I'm going to be able to drink the whole thing. And again, if you are someone who likes sweeter wines, this is a great one because it definitely does have a lot of deeper flavors. I can taste some of the more baking spice stuff, the cinnamon, the vanilla, the chocolate. Those fruits are there. It has a nice raisiny. Um, honestly, if you think of like, I don't know, like cinnamon raisin bread, oh, but wine, that's kind of the profile, but it's not like a pumpkin spice. Like it's not that kind of spice. Or, oh, what's the food that British people love? Mincemeat. Like a mincemeat pie. Like it's kind of those flavors. Mincemeat doesn't contain meat anymore. Olden times. I mean, it has meat in the name. I thought it did. So thank you for informing me. Mincemeat now is basically dried fruit, like raisins and dried cherries and all of that shit mixed together with like almonds and baking spices. I mean, yeah, but there's no cake. You throw that shit in a pie crust and bake it. Mincemeat pie. I want to try one. I don't think I'd like it, but uh, this, yeah, this is giving me what I imagine mincemeat pie tastes like, but wine. Okay, that sounds sweet to me. Yeah, I'm going to drink it because I really, really need wine today. So (laughs) for both this case and because it's been a day. So yeah. And again, it's a great wine if you like sweet. The fact that I'm still like, yeah, it's real sweet. I'm going to drink the whole thing. I think speaks volumes to like how of a wine it's a really good one just not for me so this wine is delicious i get immediately ripe cherries the very very bright red fruits on the tongue it's dry it's tart it's so good yum it's like basically think the opposite of yours i was a little bit trying (laughs) i was a little (laughs) bit concerned with the oak barrels because they did use French and American. It was 12 months. But I'm not picking up on too heavy of an oakiness. Like, this is not your California oaky cab. Those bright fruits really are running the, the show. Who run the world? Fruits. Red fruits. I highly recommend this one. It's a really good, easy-drinking wine that has a lot of deep layers and bold flavors. Okay. Well, Tyler... We've talked about our wines. I think it's time now to, oh my God, to jump into the story of Ed Gein. And this case is so crazy with so many twists and turns and so much going on that it's the sole case we're focusing on in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Brittany and I are going to be splitting Ed Gein. So Tyler, get us started. Tell us about Ed Gein. I keep thinking I'm going to like this wine more. I don't. Uh, Okay. So Ed Gein. Sources we used for this episode, we used the Ed Gein article on Wikipedia, an article from All That's Interesting by Marco Margaritoff, an article in History.com by the History.com editors, and an article in Film Daily by Bridget Lusky. So Ed Gein was born on August 27th of 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. 
his dad, George, was a pretty severe alcoholic. And so pretty much he was watched over all the time by his mom, Augusta. She was a complete religious fanatic and very abusive, very controlling. Ed, he grew up with his older brother, Henry, and pretty much from birth until forever, she would mock them and shame them. She ruled the house with this iron fist ideology that was very stern and based in her conservative outlook on life. She would regularly preach to them about sin, carnal desire, and lust. Again, while they're like children, she's shaming them for all these feelings and just being this horrifyingly overbearing, like Carrie's mom in Carrie by Stephen King. That's exactly. a thousand percent. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm picturing. So the family in 1915, they moved to Plainfield, Wisconsin, and they moved to this like really middle of nowhere farm. At this point, Ed Gein, he's nine years old. And pretty much once they moved, he didn't ever really leave the house unless it was to go to school. So it the home kind of became like a compound, is what it sounds like. So Gein, he had grown up in and developed and basically like become a person with all of this repressed behavior and this like rejection of normal urges, real fucked up mentally. But his like mental health issues, they didn't truly come to like the forefront of his actions and everything until both his parents died. So in 1940, when Ed was 34, he still lived at home and his dad died of heart failure due to his alcoholism. After that, Gein and his brother, they pretty much attempted to replace their dad or make up for the hole he left by dying. I can totally see that two sons who still live at home feel like they need mm-hmm. to be the men of the house and fill their father's shoes. Yeah. So they worked a lot of different odd jobs to make ends meet to support their mom because she was like the abuse didn't stop when they became adults at all. She still treated them like these evil children with these unnatural urges. And so if they didn't bring home money, they they were punished. Just like if, I don't know, what my mind goes to is the same mindset of like punishing a kid for not doing their homework, but also she's crazy abusive and Carrie's mom. I mean, she all but locked them in the prayer closet. It wouldn't surprise me if she did. Yeah. I wonder if, I've never looked it up, I wonder if Stephen King based Carrie's mom on Ed Gein's mom. I think, unfortunately, he probably had a lot of references. That is true. So on May 16th, 1944, four years after Dad died, Henry and Gain, they're on the property and they're, like, burning away some of the, like, marsh plants and vegetation that's on the farm when the fire gets out of control. And so the fire department in town sees the smoke, comes to the property, and it's like, there's a fucking fire help they wound up like extinguishing the fire firefighters leave and then ed gein reports his brother is missing so a search party is formed to look for henry and at this point i guess i mean henry's older ed's 38 now so henry's probably in his 40s or so they're like it's hard because like 
listening and like reading this, I'm picturing them being like teenagers Young or kids, something. Not adults. <laughs> yeah. Because like that's how they're treated. They're still living at home, but like, no, they're full on grown ass men. They're grown ass um, men. Yes. So search party comes together, they have lanterns, flashlights, they start searching for Henry, and they find him. He's dead and lying face down on the ground. And it looked like he'd been dead for some time. I don't know how long that means, but possibly before the fire. Yeah, I was about to say, this makes the fire seem more like a cover-up than an accident. Well, a little bit more, because by the looks of it, he must have died of like heart failure, because he hadn't been burned or injured otherwise. Um, He had some bruises on his head, but not anything super severe looking. Oh. It just looked like he dropped dead. But the police, they full-on dismissed any possibility of foul play, and the county coroner officially listed asphyxiation as the cause of death, because he's not burned, but he died next to the fire. He probably breathed in the smoke. Shouldn't he have done an autopsy to take out that probably? Well, the authorities accepted that this was an accident, they didn't have an investigation, and they didn't perform an autopsy. And I'm like, literally, get one of those little, like, intubation scopes and a flashlight and be like is there soot in his lungs so cause of death accident boom so because of some of the things that we go into in a little bit and happen later there are some people suspecting like "Mm, did ed gain kill his brother i don't know it sounds like it but also i mean if there was an accidental out of control fire people die in those two like i could see it but I could also see it being like, uh, well, he murdered people in the, you know, he murdered people at this point in his life. Anyone who died before that probably murdered. And it's like, well, Not necessarily. No. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, again, listeners, think about this when we go into some of the details later, because I'm a little suspect about him murdering his brother. It's not too far-fetched, but it seems really different. Well, to me, the same amount of did he murder his brother? It's like, well, did he put strychnine in his dad's alcohol and dad didn't really die of a heart attack? Exactly. I mean, I don't know. The strychnine is not an actual theory. I just made that up. But to me, it's the same level of like connecting the dots. Conspiracy. As, yeah. So I don't know, but could be other way. But regardless of how Henry died, Ed Gein was now, it was now just Ed and his mom. And so pretty much this house is now this older puritanical mother who shames her adult son about the dangers of carnal desires. And then this grown-ass man, her son, whose fears, anxieties, and his devotions forced him to stay. Because he can't leave. Which, if that sounds familiar to any of y'all who are fans or have watched Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, his persona was explored in that. Want to know something really crazy that people probably wouldn't think when they look at me? Look at me. Um, I've never seen Psycho. You want to know something that is not going to surprise any of our audience? Neither have you. I, too, have never seen Psycho. It was. I know the shower scene. Yeah, it was spoiled for me, which I'm not going to say it. Uh, We give a lot of hints in the episode, but I'm not going to say it for those who are like me and maybe don't know the end. But it was spoiled for me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's the big giant twist. And I know it now. 
but I really should still watch it. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, and I just, I never realized uh, that the big twist is that it's a prequel to the movie The Birds. It's not. No, that's The the Birds. Oh, I was thinking of the Netflix one. You know, where he turns into a, into a bunch of birds at the end, and then attacks, like, Debbie something. No, you literally said The Birds, and I was thinking Bird Box. That is actually the sequel to Birds. You know, the birds fly all around, Sandra Bullock blindfolds herself. It's a really interesting trilogy. Did you know there's a sequel book to Bird Box? Because I think it just came out. Is it Birdhouse? No, it starts with an M and it's like Mirage or something. Sorry, I don't know the title, but look it up. Sequel to Bird Box. It exists. I still haven't seen Bird Box. It's really weird. I don't really like horror movies. Uh, I have seen uh, The Birds, like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It's fine. Maybe her name's Tippy. I think Tippy Hendon sounds right. Yeah, it was definitely Tippy. That sounds right. I think you've talked about yeah. her. <laughs> maybe but i don't know what recess of my brain that came from but honestly my first guess of debbie not far off what anyway what was the case that you did where the guy wanted to meet tippy before he died and he got to do you remember no that sounds like something you just (laughs) made up our listeners are probably shouting it and i should know i have no idea no i swear tippy hedron yes yeah yeah does that feel more familiar you talked about her Wait, did I read this in a book? <laughs> I have no idea. Wait. Because I don't think I've ever mentioned Tippi Hedren on this podcast, especially for the fact that pulling her name out of my brain felt the exact same way as when you conjure an image of like your favorite toy from when you were seven. And you're like, I don't know where that came from or how long that's been buried. Similar to things serial killers probably think. So, Okay. Listeners, here's like the ultimate test for you guys, because I don't think this was a dream, but I, I'm guessing at this point, it's from a book that I read, where this, this person, I think it's someone's grandfather, loves Tippy and is able to meet her later in life when they're both older, and they dance on a balcony, and I don't know if it's The Dinner List by Rebecca Serle. It may be, but listeners, if you know what book this is, please remind me, because I've read like 70 books this year, and at a certain point, they start to bleed together. Yeah, that 100% was not me telling you that, because all of that sounded made up. No, it's not made up. It was definitely a book then. Okay. Someone knows, and they'll remind me. They're going to message us on Instagram and be like, Brittany, it was this book. You know that. Brittany, it was Cell by Stephen King. No, it it wasn't that book. You would know. (laughs) I would know. Okay. Anyway, Tippy is not part of Ed Gein at all. She's, She's doing her own thing. In the 40s, not being involved with Ed Gein. No, she's not. But what's Ed Gein doing? He's doing what we're all doing right now. Not leaving the house. He doesn't socially, he doesn't go to any kind of social gatherings. He doesn't date anyone. Fuck. Oh, shit. I don't want to feel any type of relation, but that's hitting a little too close to home. <laughs> Bitch, me too. Fuck. <laughs> He's pretty much... 100% of his time, he is spending with his mom and tending to her and being her surrogate husband, son, everything. Uh, I guess not surrogate son, because she is he is her son. Yeah. But also, that's where things differ. I'm like, I talked to mama today. 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I love Mama, but we have not gone to that extent where I feel the need to, like, I don't know, be at her ever becking call. Love you, Mama, but sorry, I'm not doing that. Yeah, no. Like, on Mother's Day, breakfast in bed, sure. Although, I don't live in Oklahoma anymore. Oh, I guess I could probably be a good son and be like, Happy Mother's Day. I ordered you Uber Eats and they're going to deliver it to you. Which, I will say on a different topic but if y'all are having uh trouble <laughs> hopping back into some covid talk for a sec but if y'all are having trouble dealing with mentally how to remotely care for someone if someone you know and love has covid and you're struggling with not being able to be there things like ordering uber eats or ordering them food to deliver to their house or doing like grocery deliveries you can do all of that stuff and have it sent to their house that was one thing my boss was telling me that she did when her parents were sick and so again if you're struggling with the feeling of helplessness yeah there's an option yeah seriously order someone some groceries on instacart and have it sent to them That is so helpful. Groceries are a hard thing to get. Like, think about it. You can't leave the house and you need food. Yeah. So anyway, his mom does not have COVID. But about a year after his brother died, she did too. Not have COVID though. And after she died, this is when Ed Gein went from Ed Gein, the mentally fucked up guy who maybe killed his brother but probably didn't. This is when he turned into Ed Gein, one of the most deranged, horrifying, unhinged serial killers that I've ever heard of. He was, I mean, obviously devastated by her death. And an author, Harold Schechter, he put it in a way that I was like, uh, yep, that, that sums it up well. He said that Ed had lost his only friend, and one true love, and now he was absolutely alone in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now Ed Gein is living alone in this big house that he grew up in that used to have his parents, his older brother, the whole family. Now it's just Ed. That would be hard for anyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, his mental state severely deteriorated. And he already had mental illness at this point. Like, there have been notes of this throughout what you've been saying. So this isolation, I mean, that totally intensifies everything. Oh, yeah. It it was the catalyst. Everything was already, like, kind of in ruins. If you think about, like, a building that's being demolished... Before his mom died, the building was still up. The walls and windows and all that had been removed, but it's still standing. But his mom dying was that final, like, little explosive charge that made everything crumble. So, as part of his, like, mental deterioration, a lot of it was reflected in the house itself. He kept his mom's room spotless and untouched, most likely as his own way to kind of repress the fact that she died. If he kept it looking normal, like when she was alive, and she's not really dead, is the is the train of thought that most people, I guess, think. So it's almost like it's this little shrine of normalcy to her. Like, you don't touch it, that's mom's room, it stays exactly how it was when she died. 
It's like it's his own dollhouse. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that's creepy. Probably a Netflix horror movie. His own dollhouse? Yeah. Anyway, the rest of the house, though, it was a trash heap. There was garbage everywhere. There's piles of, like, household items. There's furniture. There's just random shit everywhere. It's gross. And it's all just collecting dust. And it's, I mean, it's mounds. Like, think of the grossest episodes of Hoarders you've ever seen. Yeah. Like that one where the grandma's like, ah! and the reporter's like, oh my God, when she walks into the house. Because there's just shit everywhere. I mean, yeah. And I can't watch Hoarders because it's really sad to me. It also so. gives me anxiety because there's so much happening. Yeah. It does make me feel like, well, my apartment's not that messy. <laughs> no, like literally like our level of messy, it, there's no comparison. Our level of messy, like most people's level of messy, is normal. Like, we get overwhelmed and we feel like, oh my god, the place is a fucking mess. I gotta clean. It's not near as bad as people who who have hoarding um, issues. Yeah, and not nearly as bad as Ed Gein's house. So, his house, it's, it's a mess. And also, at this same time, he is getting this just fascination for anatomy and he started just getting a huge amount of books on the subject of anatomy. And this is when I introspectively look over at my own copy of Grey's Anatomy and I'm like, oh God, not the TV series, the, the actual book, book, the actual anatomy book. I do also have the TV series though. Yeah, but you don't o- open the book and study it on a daily basis. That's the diff. You haven't read no, that I book ha- front to back. I think I've opened it twice. It's just because it's an old book that's pretty, and I think it's really impactful, which is why I have it. I'm not going to read that shit. It's like 200 years old. Exactly. He's buying anatomy books and reading them in depth. And also, while this shit's all going down, his mental state's full-on collapsing, there are people in the town going missing. A bunch of different people who just vanished without a trace. One of them was a woman named Mary Hogan. She owned the Pine Grove Tavern, and that was one of the only places that Ed Gein would ever go to. One of the only times he'd ever leave the house. Yeah. Was going to this tavern. Because I was going to say, I thought you said he like rarely left. So it's literally like he goes to his house, probably the grocery store and this one tavern. And a hardware store. Because on the morning of November 16th of 1957, Bernice Warden, she owned a hardware store there in Plainfield. She disappeared. A resident of Plainfield reported that they'd seen the truck, like the hardware store's truck, driving out of the rear of the building at about 9.30 in the morning. And the hardware store was closed that entire day. A lot of people, though, it didn't really concern them. It's a tiny town, and it's deer hunting season. So I don't know if they were like, oh, well, Bernice is probably out. She's hunting. You know, hunting deer. Yeah. She's getting a buck, but she wasn't. Her son, Frank Warden, he was the deputy sheriff in the town. He hasn't heard from his mom, so he's like, what's going on? Oh my god. The last thing you should do is make the deputy sheriff, like, concerned and questioning. Uh, yeah. Because Frank went to the store at about 5 p.m. to check and see if mom's there, if she left any signs of where she went. And when he gets there, he sees the store's cash register is open. 
and there's blood stains on the floor. Not good signs. No. So her disappearance immediately becomes investigation. Frank told investigators that Ed Gein was the last person in the store because the last receipt his mom had written before she disappeared had been for a gallon of antifreeze that Ed Gein bought. Also, there's other things, like he was suspicious of Ed for many reasons, but either way, that's the last confirmed person that saw Bernice. So that evening, Ed Gein was arrested at a grocery store in West Plainfield, and after Ed Gein was arrested, that was when the county sheriff's department searched the Gein family farm. I'm going to pour myself some more wine before I jump into my half. How's your wine? How how are you taking it? Um, I... I see your face. I'm trying to convince myself I like it. It means you don't like it. It's okay. We don't always like the wine we drink. No, no, I know. But I don't like it in such a specific way. Because I like the flavors and everything. And it's a good, like, deep... Whatever the words are when you're, like, uncovering different flavors like you're an archaeologist... But it's sweet. Yeah, you're dusting it off and it's still sweetness. And you dislike it in a very specific way, just like I dislike capers in a very specific way. It's just like this weird... I love capers. You know, sometimes I like them, sometimes I'm grossed out by them. But it's okay. It's it's honestly, it's like if you had oh, just a really great steak that you poured caramel all over. That's disgusting. Where you're like, yeah, I know. Where you're like... I like these flavors and the ri- but it's so sweet and gross. Then you don't like the Don't flavors. creme brulee my steak. Don't sweeten my wine. There, that's what you're going to write is <laughs> that's the like opening page where you have like that quote or whatever right before your memoir starts. That one. Oh, see, I thought it's a chapter title. Okay. In my self-help book. Depends on what the chapter's about, but it would make sense. Maybe. I am not qualified to write any kind of self-help book. No, this isn't a self-help book. This is a Tyler's Life book. If someone wants to, memoir. If someone wants to take that as self-help, that's their own mistake. Okay. I'm just playing. Okay. I'm just kidding. Mm. I'm not even going to write a fucking memoir and pretend that I can give people advice. So, are you guys ready to hear what happened after the police searched Ed Gein's farm? I think I speak for everyone when I say, I really want to know, but I really don't want to know. So... Police arrested Gein, and they went to his farm. They were by no means ready for everything they found. The sheriff's deputy discovered Bernice Warden's decapitated body in a shed on Gein's property. She was hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrist, and her torso was dressed like a deer. It unfortunately means she was completely cut open from, like, sternum to navel. Like... How you would gut a deer to remove all its internal organs. Yeah. She had been shot with a twenty two caliber rifle, and the mutilations were made after her death. I mean, I guess it could take some kind of solace in that. Nope, because the horrors did not end there. When searching the rest of Gein's property, the police found a lot of things. Prepare yourselves for this. This is a fucked up list. Probably the most fucked up list I've ever read in my entire life. So officers found various organs in jars and skulls turned into makeshift soup bowls, whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, like literally 
the the seat of the chair where you sit and it's like a piece of leather with like the what are those things called the little like rivets and yeah the, the little studs yeah that was human skin skulls on his bedpost female skulls some with the tops sawn off a corset made from a female torso skin from shoulders to waist what the fuck leggings made from human leg skin I'm wearing leggings right now, and I just, like, had a moment. That's terrifying. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. And by that, I mean, like, the skin from her face. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of the stove. Nine vulva in a shoebox. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females about 15 years old. A belt made from female human nipples. Oh my god, just... Yeah, his nipple belt. The amount. Exactly. A whole belt. Four noses. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. What the fuck? I know, you think it can't get any more fucked up and it does. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Yeah, I saw that picture doing the research. It's really, really awful. Yeah. And then he also they also found fingernails from female fingers. I I mean all of these things you listed are horrifying. Yeah. The the lips on the window shade drawstring, I don't know why. That just horrifies me at such a deep level. It's it's just it's like Oh, well, what do I do with these? I don't know. It, this is horrifying. And I, maybe it's because literally last episode, you had a guy who used human leather. So that's already a, uh, I don't know, a thing we've talked about. So yeah. it's still horrifying and shocking, but we'd already talked about it. So it's not new. And then like the bowls from skulls and things like that and the, yeah. the bones. Like, Dahmer did that, and we've talked about things. I don't know if he made bowls out of them, but, like, skulls and shit everywhere, bones everywhere. We've talked about that before. And then the body parts in bags. I don't know why the lips on the window drawstring. It's because it's pure decor. Yeah. It's, he's treating these humans not even as, like, trophies like a lot of serial killers not that i'm not saying that's in any way better or whatever no but he's treating them like he went to fucking hobby lobby yeah well and the thing is like when a couple of the things that like really creeped me out aside from everything but a couple of things that really stuck out to me were the skulls being bowls i'm like that's really fucking creepy and then also, like, the box full of vulva. Like, that is fucking creepy. And just the intent that it takes to cut off these specific body parts and keep them is so fucked up. And such a level, such a deep level of depravity that, like, this is the kind of shit. I was like, I don't think the English language has words for it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does for this. No. And as we mentioned earlier, Ed Gein has influenced a lot of popular culture. 
At this point, you can probably, if you've seen the movie, you're noticing the similarities with Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, specifically the 1974 movie. There was one that came out in the 2000s. It's by no means as creepy as the original. That original film is to this day the creepiest and most gut-wrenching and literally one of those films that I was like, do I need to pause this to throw up that I've ever watched? Yeah. Uh, Agreed. So obviously, immediately, authorities were like, oh my god, we need to fucking talk to Ed. Ed immediately admitted to killing Bernice Warden, as well as Mary Hogan three years prior. Oh, so they're like, we found some shit in your house, and he's like, yeah, Bernice. I mean, again, though, what is the point of him not admitting it? I know, they found all of this stuff, and like, it was in his initial questioning that he admitted these things, and he claimed he did not remember killing Mary Hogan, And they did at his house find her face in a paper bag. So they're like, yeah, no, we're pretty sure you did it regardless if you if you remember it or not. Uh, yeah. Wait, but also why did how is he only being like, yeah, I murdered Mary and Bernice. And they're like, well, we found this box of nine vulva. So, um, well, I'm about to get into that because. Ed Gein told investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nighttime visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in this daze-like state. Uh. So he went full-on grave robber digging up bodies thing here. Gein said he did about... 30 of these visits, and he would come out of his days while at the cemetery sometimes. And when that happened, he would immediately leave. He would, like, fix up the grave, leave it in good order, and return home empty-handed. But on the other occasions, when he didn't leave this days, he dug up the graves, like I said, of recently buried middle-aged women that he thought resembled his mother. And he would take the bodies home where he tanned their skins to make his paraphernalia. So you're telling me he got all of those body parts that were in his house just from two murders and ten visits to the graveyard. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit because, one, you mentioned there were body parts belonging to at least two young girls who were 15, not middle-aged, looking like his mom. Yeah, no, I... He murdered people. Like, all the people in town that started disappearing, was that just happenstance? And he was like, no, I was just grave robbing and only murdered these two people. Like, oh my god, I can actually do my my fake Midwest accent for this, because it's from Wisconsin. I think you're right. I think there's a lot more victims in this case than we'll ever know. Oh, oh yeah. And... The fact that he was digging up bodies of middle-aged women that looked like his mom, that tells us he was doing some research into who was being buried and who's recently died. Yeah, that's not just going into a daze and wandering into the cemetery and doing that. Like, nah, bitch, you were fucking planning. So he admitted to stealing from nine graves from local cemeteries, and he led investigators to their locations. The state crime laboratory participated in opening three test graves identified 
by Ed Gein. The caskets inside were wooden boxes, and they were only about two feet below the surface. Oh. Yeah. That's really shallow. Oh, that was because Gein robbed the graves soon after the funerals. Oh. And he reburied them. Yeah. So they probably weren't initially buried just two feet deep. I mean, yeah, this is one guy doing this in, like, a night. So I'm sure he's not going to properly rebury them. So the test graves were exhumed because authorities were uncertain as to whether Ed Gein, who was this really small guy, was actually capable of digging up a grave during one night. They were very skeptical of this, but... They found, as Ed Gein had described in his confession, two of the exhumed graves were found empty. One of them had a crowbar in place of the body. One casket was empty. One casket um, Ed Gein failed to open, and he lost his pry bar, just like in the hole. And most of the body was gone from the third grave. But Ed had gone back and returned rings and some body parts. So not only did he dig these up and steal the bodies, he even like went back and returned certain things. Everything they found corroborated his confession. So what happened? Soon after Augusta's passing, Edgeen decided to create a woman suit so that he could become his mother and literally crawl into her skin. So... Spoiler alert right now, if you haven't seen Psycho, but this is where we get that Norman Bates Psycho influence. And Psycho, there's actually a novel. It was written by Robert Bloch, and it was written in 1959, and that influenced the 1960 movie by Alfred Hitchcock. That is what we all think of when we think of Psycho. I, like, don't know how to react like yes he influenced psycho and i i'm sorry i am still so stuck on he want he was creating a woman's suit so he could literally crawl into his mother's skin i know i don't know how to react to something like that either because it's so macabre and i don't even know how to react to something like this either i mean there are no words there are no words so Hitchcock's Psycho was hugely influenced and inspired by Ed Gein's life, the devotion to his mother, and his macabre crimes. Ed Gein denied having sex with the bodies he exhumed because he said they smelled too bad. But you're gonna fill your house with them. I know. I don't really buy this kind of shit, so it, it is still very much in question whether he was into necrophilia or not. Uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna go with yes. He transported the corpses back to his house so he could express his anatomical curiosity with the bodies. So all those anatomy books he was reading, he was like, ooh, practice. He's like, I've seen this in pictures and drawings. Let's see it in real life. He cut various body parts and made masks and suits of these people's skin. He would wear them around the house, you know, like his nipple belt. He wore that. What the fuck? He also created furniture, like the chairs I talked about earlier, lamps with people's faces, gloves, all of these things made from human flesh. I kind of want to set myself on fire right now. 
It's one of the most horrific things we've ever talked about. Yeah. During the state crime laboratory interrogation, Ed Gein also admitted to the shooting death of Mary Hogan. So I, I mentioned earlier, he admitted that he did it. And like you said, Mary owned the tavern. That was one of the only places he ever went to. But he denied any memory of it. He also kept shrunken heads in his house. And he said that they were relics from the Philippines that his cousin sent to him during World War II. What the fuck is wrong with his cousin? Well, as the police investigated further, it was determined that they were human facial skins carefully peeled from corpses and used by Ed Gein to make masks. So... This is more of that fucking Leatherface influence, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but then also Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. I hate this. Yeah. The fucking skin suit, that's what Buffalo Bill was trying to do. Why else do you think he wanted the lotion? No, yeah, I know that. I have seen Silence of the Lambs. Ed Gein was considered a suspect in a lot of other unsolved crimes in Wisconsin, including the 1953 disappearance of Evelyn Hartley. She was a babysitter and in lacrosse. Oh, so maybe she was around 15. Unfortunately, he was never convicted in any other disappearance of people. They tried and they could never connect anything else to him. I mean, but when you think about it, this is the 50s. Yeah. They, they don't, they're not going to be able to DNA test them. No. And if he's tanned and turn the, his victims into leather, you can't blood type them. There's not any blood left. No. There's, there's a lot of evidence, but little for them to work with when it comes to identification. Yeah. Oh, God. I guess the only thing you really could do at that point, other than the two victims they know, is... You could fingerprint his human skin gloves. And I am sure they did. I hate this. I hate this so much. During questioning, Sheriff Archley reportedly assaulted Ed Gein by banging his head and face into a brick wall. Wow. I understand the frustration I am sure he felt, but as a result, Gein's initial confession was ruled as inadmissible. And Schleet ended up dying of heart failure when he was 43 in 1968 before Ed Gein went to trial. Many people knew that Art Schleet said he was traumatized by the horrors of the case. And a lot of people think that there was this level of fear of having to testify, especially about this assault, that caused his heart failure. This is... A level of horrifying that we very, very rarely touch on in this podcast. And again, this episode 133, we've talked about a lot of monsters and a lot of depravity. But talking to the person who did this, having seen and gone through the house with all this stuff. Not not, not stuff. All these people. Yeah turned into furniture and decor and having to pull this information out from the person who did it and hear it firsthand yeah i don't know how anyone could go through that and not be severely traumatized 
I don't know how you do this case. This is one of those that I'm like, well, I'm retiring. I'm done. I can never see another thing again. Or maybe you do want to see something else because you need to know that not everything is this horrific. But on November 21st, 1957, Ed Gein was arraigned on one count of first degree murder and he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent. And so he was completely unfit for trial. Oh. He was sent to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now known as Dodge Correctional Institution. This was a maximum security facility in Wisconsin. And then he was later transferred to Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. And then 10 years later in 1968. So I know some of y'all may have thought I got the date wrong a little bit ago. I did. Yeah, Tyler did. He questioned me sidebar. He was like, did you hear dates right? When I talked about the sheriff's death before trial, I didn't. Because 10 years later in 1968, doctors determined that Ed Gein was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. And his trial began on November 7th. 1968. This was like 10 years after all this happened. I don't have enough wine in the world for this case. I'm going to let you know. I am struggling through and I'm appreciating this wine so much more because of how necessary it is. That is the most filled glass ever. Yeah, I'm about to take it like a shot. (laughs) I won't, dear God. During the trial, a psychiatrist testified that Ed Gein had told him that he did not know whether the killing of Bernice was intentional or accidental. Gein told him that while he examined a gun while he was in Bernice's store, the gun went off and it killed her. So he made it sound like an accident. He testified that after trying to load the bullet into the rifle, it automatically discharged. He said he didn't aim the rifle at Bernice, and he didn't remember anything else that happened that morning. Yeah, because Bernice, who owns this hardware store that sells guns, is a hunter, judging by the town being like, oh, it's deer hunting, she's She's gone, is going to stand downwind, going to stand at the wrong side of the barrel of a gun in her store. I don't think so. She's not. I think it's totally made up. No. So at the request of the defense, Edgeen's trial was held without a jury, and he was found guilty by Judge Robert H. Gallmer on November 14, 1968. I didn't know you could request a non-jury trial. Yeah, I feel like we've done one case fairly recently where they requested no jury. Why? It's a risk you take because if you're so concerned that convincing 12 people is going to be too hard, maybe you just want to try to convince one. I guess. Ed Gein ended up having a second trial that dealt with his sanity. And after testimony by doctors for the prosecution and the defense, Gallmer, this same judge, he ruled that Ed Gein was not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Ed Gein spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. Judge Goldmer wrote that, Due to prohibitive costs, Gein was tried for only one murder, that of Miss Warden. That was Bernice. He also admitted to killing Mary Hogan. 
So, I mean, I, I kind of hate that prohibitive costs. They couldn't try him for both. I can see where they're coming from if you were to look at it from just like an administrative, like fully non emotive, non human way of being like, well, if he was found like not mentally fit and not, not guilty due to reason of insanity mm-hmm. for this one, the outcome of the, another trial. It'd be the is same. not going to have any bearing. Right. But Mary Hogan deserves justice. Her family deserves to have that, even if it's a show. Like, shit, he admitted to it. Have the trial. You have his confession and the evidence. It should be pretty fucking quick. I know. It was almost like it was a bill they didn't want to have to handle. Mary deserves justice. Her family deserves finality in whatever way they can get from this. And... Although this is not going to solve anything or fix anything or really even make anything better, it is a piece. It is something. It's something she deserves. Yeah. Ed Gein died at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer, on July 26th, 1984. He was 77 years old. And his infamacy, it lives on. Whether you know it or not, you've absolutely been intrigued by a movie or a book or a case or something that was influenced by Ed Gein. I mean, we've talked about Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know he also was an influence for Dr. Threadson in American Horror Story Asylum, the second season, the best season. But, like, so much of these horrifying, indescribable horror and depravity. Yeah. like Terrors. Again, yeah. The terrors. So many of them have influences, like, in popular culture, have influences from Ed Gein. It's one of those cases that once you know about it, It will stick with you forever because you can't forget it as much as you want to. You, you can't. And even still, how much is it known? This is a case that, I mean, definitely you can go into a ton of detail and do a full series on, but at the end of the day, we don't know who these victims are, who so many of them are. Are. I know. Because just by numbers alone, there are more bodies in his house than there were victims he dug up or murdered. Or, or the, the, there were more like, victims there than, than we know about. But we don't know who they are. And so much of so much of everything we don't know. There's not a ton of information. And I think in some ways that makes this even more terrifying there's no part of my brain that can wrap itself around someone who uses human leather like animal leather and even animal leather wasn't used in some of the ways that he does i mean like nobody dear god i hope excuse me for this example but no one has like a cow face lampshade you know or a box of cow vaginas. Like, I, I'm, ju- that I'm too. just... <laughs> um, like, it, it's, that's the thing. It's is so that fucked he's... up. And it's this combination, yeah. like you were saying, of like 
trophies and like function and like just all these different crazy fucking shit that he was doing with these pieces of people. Well, I mean, that's the it's not he's not just degrading his victims and viewing them on the same level of animals and using them as leather. He's degrading them to the point of viewing them as decor objects and knickknacks and little tchotchkes. Well, and it's just and wearing their faces as his own. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to stutter through the rest of this because there's, I I have no there's words. There's nothing more to say. It's it's that messed up. Yeah. I think right now we need to give it to Bridget. She brought it. Totally. And the fact that she's grown up hearing about this, I don't even know how I would cope. Girl, you are strong. I've never had a horror story relate this close to home. No. But I, I think I'm good. I don't think I need to visit Wisconsin, though. Between Dahmer and Ed Gain and 2016, I think I'm good on Wisconsin. Yeah, if you're in Wisconsin, sorry. Not booking a ticket there anytime soon. Also, not booking tickets anywhere anytime soon. No, but if the world ever opens up because people start being responsible, and if we ever get big enough to tour... Yes, we will come we'll to Madison and, Blisco- and Milwaukee or something. <laughs> we'll be there. But maybe we'll go to Fond du Lac. That's the only other town in Wisconsin I know. I don't know a lot about Wisconsin other than cheese, and 100% I'm on that game. And beer. And Green Bay. The Green Bay Packers. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what an episode. What a case. Ed Gein, one yeah. for the books. Like, God, I'll never get over it. Uh, No. Trixie Mattel. She's from Wisconsin as well. I love her. I'm just like, what positive things can we scrape together? I don't know things. But again, thank you so much, Bridget, for the topic. If y'all are like, oh, fuck, I got a topic for y'all. Check out Patreon. Check out Becoming a Cabernet Sauvignon Convict. We'll, we'll do your topic. You'll get to direct an episode. And if you liked this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars. We love, love, love hearing from y'all. And while you're at it, be sure to like and follow us on social. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if y'all liked our intro music, uh, just uh, listen to the outro music because... It's also new. It's new too. Check out Fiverr if you're needing any type of music or logos or anything of the type. I mean, literally Fiverr, you do so much. So many creative talents on that website. Yes. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.